Are you ready for the question? Okay, here it is. Why are liberals so miserable? Generally speaking, why are liberals so miserable? Certainly compared to conservatives, they're more pinched. And when it comes to Christians, friends, if you're a Christian, you have no excuse. We have joy, joy, joy deep down in our hearts. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But I'm getting this topic from a friend of mine, Stephen Moore. He has an article over at Cyber News Service. It's cnsnews.com. You've probably seen Steve Moore before. He's that uh, gray, bushy-haired guy who has glasses, and he kind of squints when he when he looks at the camera. And he's very affable, super, super smart. He's an economist. So he's writing this commentary over at CNS News. I had Steve on my program in San Francisco when I had the radio program every Friday for over a decade. So here's, here's Steve's article. It's entitled, Why Are Liberals So Miserable? Replacing former President Donald Trump with President Joe Biden was supposed to bring joy to the land, from the sea to the sea. We were going to be a united people at last. Remember how the Democrats were selling this? No, we need to be united now. Enough of this part partisan divide because of Trump and his followers. We need to bring the country together. <laughs> uh, that's hardly happened. Every problem known to man, Steve writes, would be solved by cradle-to-grave government. Biden was even going to save us from the rise of the oceans. Oh, yeah, here we go again. <laughs> Global warming, climate change, but just the opposite. A survey by the University of Chicago found that record percentages of people in 2021 described themselves as unhappy. For most of the past 50 years, about 1 in 10 people have described themselves as unhappy. So for 50 years, 1 in 10 said, yeah, I'm unhappy. In 2021, 1 in 4 say they are unhappy. Now he goes on to say, typically, almost 1 in 3 say they're very happy, that's over the last 50 years, but now less than one in five do. So the happiness index and the misery index, happiness index falling like a stone, misery index going through the roof, people are depressed. Gee, I wonder, Steve asks, why the public is so glum all of a sudden. Let me count the ways, he says. Well, first there's isolation and loneliness from the lockdowns, the stay-at-home orders, the travel restrictions. Certainly true. Then there's the out-of-control crime and the significant rise in business failures from the lockdowns and the crime, both clearly associated with depression. People are worried about their health two years into the pandemic that Biden promised to shut down. The border is out of control. There's the financial stress on families from everything being more expensive. Children are depressed because schools are still doing remote learning or they're stuck wearing masks for eight hours a day. The woke movement has people feeling like they're tied inside to a social straitjacket. Nothing's funny anymore. Do you dare say an off-color joke? Oh, don't do that. You'll be banished, censored, canceled. You'll be done. People are afraid to laugh at anything for fear of offending someone somewhere. I mean, Steve asked this question. When was the last time you saw a funny movie? Are funny movies even being made right now? I'm just asking the question. Steve's asking the questions. I'm, I'm repeating it. 
But here's the most interesting thing about the results of the happiness survey. Steve says the people with the most significant happiness deficiencies are, you ready for this, are Democratic voters. The liberals are miserable. Only one in six Democratic voters say they are very happy. Almost twice as many Republicans say they are very happy. Now, this is, this is interesting because, again, the Democrats have their guy in office. They've got the House of Representatives. They're close to having the Senate. You'd think they would be thrilled. Huh. Only one in six Democratic voters say they're very happy. Steve asked the question, why is that? I have several admittedly unproven hypotheses. I will toss them out and readers can decide for themselves if they agree or disagree. First, liberals, liberals are much less religious, patriotic, and interested in getting married and having children than conservatives. That's true. Liberals, by and large, are less religious. I do know some liberal people who are, are wonderf wonderful Christians. They are wonderful Christian people who have surrendered their lives to Jesus as their Lord. Okay, that's true. Don't get them on to political topics with someone they disagree with because it gets nasty really, really fast. Now, on the other hand, with me, if you're a liberal and you're a Christian... I can identify you as my brother or sister, and I, I'm able to keep politics out of the equation. And if we do disagree on the politics, I'm not going to let it ruin my relationship with you. Now, I've seen it in reverse. Trust me, I've seen it in reverse. Where there are Christian people who think I'm a nut because of my conservative points of view, and they don't want anything to do with me. Sad. Very, 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 very sad. So he talks about uh, liberals being less, much less religious, much less patriotic, that's for sure. <laughs> they, many liberals cringe when they see that flag. In terms of marriage and children, well, it's the liberals who are destroying the traditional family platform. Steve says it's a Grand Canyon-sized division between liberals and conservatives. Liberals, he says, are, are less likely to be working, more likely to be on government assistance. Well, that's true for, for many. When you look at those on the dole, most of those are liberals. Liberals also live their lives in fear, he says. Liberals are much more likely to believe that global warming will do, doom us than conservatives. Liberals are much more likely to believe that this pandemic is going to kill them. It goes on and on and on. Finally, there's the geographical separation between conservatives camped in the red states and liberals in the blue states. The two Americas, Steve describes it. The blue states shut down their economies. They shut down their restaurants, schools, parks, theaters, tennis, basketball courts. My gosh, I'm watching a Warriors game. I, my wife loves basketball. She loves pro basketball. Specifically, she loves the Warriors. The Warriors are unlike most of the teams in the NBA. I think, as I've mentioned in past podcasts, it has to do with Steph Curry. Uh, Steph is just a genuinely nice guy. I, I, he's, 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 he's probably very liberal, um, probably somewhat woke, but he's, he's a nice guy and he's not, he's not a gangsta, okay? He's not a thug. He's not a punk. Uh, he was raised in a very good family. 
And as one of my friends who is a, a Hall of Fame football player told me, based on his experience, whatever you were before pro sports, you will be after pro sports, unless there's just something huge that happens in your life. Like, for example, a transformation by the Holy Ghost. Otherwise, whatever you were going into pro sports, you're going to be after. S Steph went into the pro sports as a, a good guy, a good, well-rounded, hardworking, moral guy. And, and I think it follows through on the team because he surrounded himself with a lot of similar characters. So I say that because my wife loves watching the Warriors. We're watching the Warriors and Bob Fitzgerald, one of the announcers, a guy that I, I know, he's saying, by the way, we're going to have John Mayer come to the concert here at the Shea Center. He's going to be coming on such and such a date. And by the way, don't forget, you need to be vaxxed and boosted to get into the event. <laughs> Jeez. You know, in the old days, it used to be tickets are available at, no, now it's, before you can even think about buying a ticket, make sure you're vaxxed and boosted and you got to have proof of it. So these are the blue states. This kind of state isn't, ha this kind of stuff isn't happening in the red states. In Florida, Steve says people got on with their lives. Tell that to people in New York and California. But he here's, here's, what, here's what he also says. This happiness deficit. Maybe it's because people just miss hating Trump. That's the last line to his story. And in saying so, he's being humorous. Come on, folks, lighten up and laugh a little bit. We conservatives can do that pretty well. Earlier in this piece, as I mentioned, this happiness deficit, there are a lot of people who are very, uh, very unhappy. They've lost their joy because of the crime going on in their cities. You look at these blue cities these cities run by liberal Democrats. And I'm thinking of New York, for example, Chicago, and San Francisco. We'll just go right across the country. We have East Coast, Midwest, West Coast. In San Francisco, it's gotten horrible. We have a, we have as our district attorney, an absolute communist. An absolute communist who, by the way, was raised by members of the Weather Underground. For those of you who are old enough to recall, uh, that was a terrorist organization here in the United States, a domestic terror operation. And by, by the way, leaders to the Weather Underground were connected to Barack Obama. You, you don't believe me? Start looking it up. Go ahead, look it up. I don't want to do a podcast on that, but it's true. It's absolutely true. Okay, I'll save you looking it up for just a moment. His parents, the district attorney of San Francisco, this absolute liberal communist, this guy who has never seen a cop that he liked. I'm serious about this. His parents were members of the Weather Underground, this radical, far-left, anti-establishment organization in the 60s. And... Uh, they continued into the 70s and early 80s. By the way, the, the DA's name is, I think you pronounce it, Chesa, Chesa Boudin, Boudin, C-H-E-S-A. I don't know what that name means. He's a guy, Chesa Boudin. When he was just a little baby, his parents left him with a babysitter 
so they could take part in an armed armored car robbery in New York City. This was a crime that left two police officers at a Brinks truck guard dead. And 38 years later, this guy, this guy became San Francisco's top prosecutor. By the way, I don't know how it works where you live, but in the San Francisco Bay Area, we have a lot of district attorneys who get elected into those positions with no law enforcement background at all, and they become the top cop. And that's the case with him. In San Francisco, he is, and just, just another thing regarding, regarding him, this guy's so bad and crime is so out of control in San Francisco that two San Francisco prosecutors quit last year to join an effort to recall this Chesa Boudin. They said he should be fired, fired by the people. They're among at least 50 lawyers in the San Francisco District Attorney's Office who have either left or have been fired since he took office in 2020. It's, they're not prosecuting crimes in San Francisco. He has a radical approach that involves not charging people with crimes and simply releasing them with no rehabilitation, putting them in positions where they can simply uh, reoffend or where they'd be more likely to reoffend. And people in San Francisco are frightened by this. We've got these smash and grabs in, in San Francisco, and I was a victim of one of those once. Uh, my car was broken into, but that's, that's peanuts compared to what they're doing with major stores. You go to San Francisco's Union Square. It's beautiful. Some of you have been there. It's beautiful. It's, it's an international tourist attraction. Just gorgeous in the heart of the city. And all the biggest and best department stores in the world are there. Many of these stores are boarded up. It's, it's pathetic. It's an eyesore. You go there and, and Union Square is empty for the most part compared to what it used to be. Boarded up. Why, is it, why are they boarded up? Because th these, these miscreants are just walking into the stores, stealing. They, they know the maximum amount they can steal without being charged, basically. It's like $999. It, there's one I'm reading here at NBC Bay Area. They've got a story on this here in the San Francisco Bay Area, NBC Bay Area. Uh, they've got a story. In one case, a man charged with robbery who had eight prior felony convictions was released early by the district attorney. Guess what happened next? He was arrested four more times for other crimes, but the district attorney's office never charged him. Then nine months after he was set free, he killed two women while driving a stolen car drunk. Okay, blood is on this guy's hands. I've had enough of this. I really now have to just talk about true, true joy. Joy is something everyone longs for. Seriously, even the most miserable person deep down inside wishes they could experience some joy. And for those people of that miserable, I, I feel terrible. I feel sorry for them. I feel terrible for them. I feel sorry for them. Um, it's, 
I don't know how you console console a person like that, say if they're the, your neighbor, but I suppose just sometimes being a friend might bring them a little smidgen of joy. But joy is something we all long for, but something that at the same time, let's be honest, seems difficult to grab hold of. But for every Christian, it should be a part of your life because it's a fruit, a fruit of the Holy Spirit produced by God's work in us and is a part of God's will for us. The first thing to realize is that joy is, as I mentioned, this this gift from God. The root word, can we get technical here? The root word for joy in Greek is chara, or maybe it's kara, chara, kara, chara, which is closely related with the Greek word charis for grace. Joy is a gift of God, as well as a response to the gift of God. It's kind of interesting. Joy comes when we are aware of God's grace and relish his favor. So grace is sometimes a tough one to get your head around. God's grace is you don't get what you perhaps deserved. How about that? You don't get what you deserved. You came to the foot of Jesus repented of all your sins, and he forgave you of all those sins, that's his grace. That's his grace. And just thinking about that should be able to produce in someone joy. With this in mind, it's evident that one way to experience joy is to focus on God. Rather than dwelling in our own difficulties or circumstances, which can rob us of contentment and make us unhappy and miserable, we can dwell on the things of God. Now, that doesn't say we're, mean to say we're supposed to become monks and walk around uh, taking vows of silence and, and limiting our food to bowls of porridge, but you understand what I'm saying. Following the example of many people in the Bible, we can pour our hearts out to God. We can tell him bluntly all the things that ail us. And then we can submit those things to him, remember who he is, and become happy in him. Even in the worst of circumstances, there can be joy. Some of you right now, you're experiencing great hardship. Maybe it's, maybe it's health. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's the loss of, of someone very special to you. Yes, for a season, those can definitely rob you of your joy. There's no question about that. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. But at the same time, we have Paul, the apostle, writing a very powerful epistle, the book of, of Philippians, from prison. I mean, this is a guy who was beaten and tortured for Christ. And yet he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Can I continue this? This is from Philippians 4. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, 
Those, by the way, are all conservative principles, all conservative hallmarks, nobility, doing what's right, holding true to what's pure, enjoying things that are lovely, admiration. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Paul says, think about such things. So what do we see from that passage? We, we see the importance of praising God. We, even in the midst of terrible circumstances, to just step back and praise him, step back and praise him. We can remember that he is near. We can pray about our worries because as a dear friend of mine who was a Christian pastor in, in, the, in a hostile part of the world, the Middle East, says worry is a personality of the devil. We don't worry. We pray about our worries and give them to God. And we keep our minds focused on the good things of God because God is good all the time. We can experience joy when we intentionally praise Him. And you know, when you intentionally praise Him, even in the midst of terrible circumstances, that that happy meter ticks upward, maybe even just a bit, but it moves in the right direction. You know, David even wrote that the study of God's Word can bring us joy. That's in Psalm 19. We experience joy by communing with God through prayer. And by the way, we can experience joy by communing with brothers and sisters who are like-minded. Sometimes when you're really suffering, uh, going through a bad patch, uh, perhaps the best thing you could do is call that brother or sister you know who's been down a similar road. And they'll be able to, they'll be able to see the forest for the trees. They'll be able to give you a little nugget of truth, a little, a little piece of wisdom that will indeed help you through the very, very rough times. Joy is a hallmark of the Christian life. I wish that more liberals could find this particular joy. Their lives would be a lot, lot, lot better off. Thank you for joining me, my friends. Always a pleasure to speak with you on these podcasts. Thank you for being my ambassadors to the program. And as you know, like so many, uh, I've been limited in my exposure through other platforms to promote this podcast, but hey, you're doing a good job for me and I really appreciate it. More on me at briansussman.com, briansussman.com. Thank you so much. By the way, I'd also like to thank the folks at gotquestions.com for a wonderful article they have up entitled, How Can I Experience Joy in My Christian Life? God bless you, my friends. Until next time.